Yes. Hey Ari. Hey Katie. What's Hello. going on? Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Are you a good bitch or a bad bitch? Um, let's see. I had a very busy week. You did. I did add two drag shows. Yep. Shout out to Valinda Vile for I was in their number. And shout out to Imogen Dragons because then they were in my number. Your number, the I saw little videos um, on Instagram yeah. and looked hysterical. It was really funny. I, I actually, everyone really liked it and I looked amazing. You did. You did. So. You great. A plus. <laughs> and then I went and saw John Mulaney. And I saw my favorite podcast live, which is And That's Why We Drink. I highly recommend their podcast. And I just had a good weekend not working. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it was more like a week, actually. It was like five days. But yeah. Nice, nice. I had a great time. How did, how, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I, yeah. um, I lost my voice last week, which was really annoying because there was no reason for it. I just woke up one morning and it sounded like this. <laughs> and, uh... I have it back now mostly. So, you know, doing better than last week. Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't record last week because yeah. of that. Yeah, it was unfortunate. Which was okay because I had a lot going on. So, Well, the worst part was the day before I lost my voice. I was like, I'm going to call home and I'm going to, like, talk to my mom. I haven't talked to her in a while. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, I cannot call home. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is episode 38. Yeah. And I... Don't have a woman crush. I do. You good? Good. As Katie's always I, got I always. I, um, so Brittany Griner is my woman crush. Um, she is a WNBA star. Um, and Wait, I heard she's the story. detained in Russia. Yes. Um, so apparently she had like vape cartridges in her luggage. Yeah. Um, and then I heard like at some point I read something where she had like narcotics in her bags or something. But she, like, she, she sure. Um, so the was. vape cartridges had hashish oil. Yeah, that was it. Um, but then I like read one article that said like she might have been having like she had narcotics or something, which uh-huh. seems weird because she's like a seven-time WNBA All Star. Yeah. Um, whatever. But she is detained in Russia, and we like haven't seen or heard from her really. Yeah, we're trying. They said that the trial, she could end up with like 10 years in prison. Yeah. It was like crazy. And it just, it seems really weird that we're like not concerned. Yeah. You know, like I've seen like a couple of articles about it, but like not nearly as many if it was like, uh, you know. They talked a lot about it on the sports channel that I was watching. Okay. So like they talked about it a lot for a long time. Yeah. Well, it's on at my work, so Um, no choice. (laughs) But I feel like I like have seen a couple articles about it. And like, I also know that I get more articles shown to me about it because I click on WNBA stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's definitely sounds like they're not pushing as hard for her as. as like. If what it how was a imagine white man. they would if it was like a little white girl or something? Yeah, or just a white man too. Yeah, but like exactly. she's a six foot nine black girl. Yeah, black lesbian. Of um, so, so they're definitely like whatever. They're like, mm, it's yeah, really yeah, messed yeah, up. Though. Like, I really hope they do help her because I would. Can you imagine being in Russia for ten years? Like, well, also she like well, so she played for Russia. I believe she plays in Russia during like a lot of people do during the. A WNBA offseason. Oh. Um, like Sue Bird uh played in Russia a lot. Oh, I didn't know that. Um 
a, a lot of players will play in other countries for their off seasons, and Russia is a big one. Okay. Um, okay. but like. I know it's not the NBA, but she's a seven-time WNBA All-Star. Yeah. She's an incredible player. Yeah. Yeah, they should definitely do something Help this it. lady. Yeah. Help this lady. <laughs> so she's my woman crush. Help Brittany Griner. Yeah. Hashtag. Why aren't we talking about her? True. True. If you don't know the story, look it up because it is actually pretty sad. It's and wild. I really hope they do something about it. Yeah. Like, Ugh. yeah. Ah. 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 <laughs> Should we get into our stories? I don't know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> let's see, let's see. Right. I'm doing the good bitch. You are. Alrighty. I'm so excited to tell you about my good bitch because I feel like it's the first time in a long time that my good bitch was has a good, it's just heartwarming. It's short and sweet. Wink, wink. Short and sweet. You'll, you'll uh-huh. understand uh-huh. later. Okay. But um, it's, it's just a very, like fun cute little story and i had very fun time researching it so all right bring it up we're gonna get into it once i open my notes (laughs) that is a crucial part of this podcast yeah all right i am doing her name is ruth graves wakefield okay you probably never heard of her because she's been kind of forgotten you might have, though. I might have. All right. Well, we'll get into it. That name sounds, like, weirdly familiar, but I cannot place it. Mm, well, she was born Ruth Jones Graves in East uh, Walpole, 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 Massachusetts. What is it? Walpole, Walpole. You're the Massachusetts. I know. I feel like I should be able to say this. I feel like it's Walpole. Sure. Sorry, Massachusetts. <laughs> Where I'm from. Um, on, <laughs> on June 17th, 1903, making her a Gemini. Now, she was born into a fairly well-off family, and she had a pretty normal childhood and upbringing. There wasn't much about her early life. Sure. Uh, but she ended up graduating in from college in 1924 from Framingham State Normal School Department of Household Arts. Or better, <laughs> Right? I love the normal school. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or better known as what we know it today as Framing State University. Okay. Which is kind of like one of our sister schools of Salem State. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, after college, she got a job at Framing State. Cool. As a dietitian and a food lecturer. I love that. I want to be a food lecturer. Right? Just talk about food all day? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. I do that anyways. If yeah, I right? get paid for it, that'd be better. <laughs> I'll I'll even pay me extra, and I'll bring in the food that I'm going to talk about. Mm. I'll make it. Uh, then a few years later, in 1926, she started teaching home economics at uh, Brockton High School. Okay. And then she was also working at a hospital as a dietitian and a home service director for a gas and electric company. So, oh. you know, she's a working girl. Yeah. She's working around. She's Hell doing yeah, stuff. get a girl. Yeah. You know, she's independent. We like that. We do. So there she finally meets her husband, uh, Kenneth Donald Wakefield. Okay. He's only like a few years older than her. Love so it. So we love it. He is a meatpacking company executive. So he's got a little bit of money too. And they are married on June 26, 1926 in Northeastern Massachusetts. And together they have two kids, Kenneth Donald Wakefield Jr. and Mary Jane Wakefield. 
Yeah. Sounds like a cute little family. It sounds they're, like the picture-perfect suburban yeah, family. They're just, you know. I bet they had a dog, too. Oh, they probably did. And a white picket fence. Oh, yeah. So then, <laughs> in 1930, Ruth and her husband decide to use up their entire life savings to buy a hotel or an inn. Okay. And they call it the Toll House Inn. <gasps> oh! see where this is going. <laughs> Now, she told everybody that this inn was built in 1706, and she was like, it used to be a toll house. Now, back in the 1700s, a toll house were kind of like in hotels, resting areas where people would pay a toll. They would be able to eat, rest, feed their horses, buy supplies before their journey. And this one was perfectly in between Boston and New Bedford. Okay. So... The historians kind of went back and was like, that ho- that b- building was built in like the late 1800s <laughs> and it was not a toll house <laughs> but it was a good gimmick and she used that as a theme for her um for the hotel it was also a restaurant sure so they bought this toll house which was it's located in whitman massachusetts again between boston and new bedford here they opened their inn which was completely traditionally um colonial style and a small restaurant that started with only seven tables fitting around like 30 people and eventually the popularity grew where they had 61 tables for this wow. restaurant. Holy crap. And people were coming all over. And she also had very eccentric themed rooms by the way. One of the rooms was called the garden room. Okay. And in a I quote, encompassed the well-known circular garden room built around a great tree trunk. The garden room windows looked out on the well-groomed real garden, which was perfect at every season. So there was a tree trunk in the middle of I love this that. room, no, right? I, is that I awesome? Love that. Right? Is that so cool? That's um, one of the things I love most about the building I work in is we have trees. Inside? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. We have trees and we have like all of our um like hall like our, our community areas have like succulents and yeah. Yeah, it's super cute. That is super yeah, cute. Yeah, not like in the lab areas obviously, but in like the community areas, uh by the cafeteria, things like that. There's plants. Oh, that's and it's so awesome. cute. Yeah. I love that. I love plants. I love plants. I did I have to admit, I um forgot to water my plants for a while. Most of them did pretty good, except mm. for my dramatic plant. I killed it. All the leaves fell off. It's just a stem now. <laughs> I felt so bad. I literally was like, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. And it was just sticking there, like looking at me. Angry. Um, have you tried to save it or did, was it unsavable? Because, oh, okay. I put I, so much water and then literally every single leaf fell off it. It's still a stick. I mean, maybe. Well, so just, I, I found a plant at work that was abandoned, but mm-hmm. I assume before the pandemic, they were like, oh, we'll be back in two weeks. And then we weren't. Um, and so I took it in and it was. Not doing well. And now it has three beautiful new leaves, and it's got a couple more buds starting. Well, maybe maybe so, when it starts warmer, it will get better. Yeah, I don't maybe. Know. It's still a stem. Yeah. A stick. I'll, I'll take a look at it. Okay. And right. see if I can feel its life. So, the hotel's great. It's eccentric. It's all traditional. But at the restaurant, Ruth did all the cooking. She okay. was a dietitian. She was a food expert. And her meals became very popular. And she was um, known for cooking her salad ring with lime gelatin. Mm. Yeah. But. Th- those salads were very popular at the time. Yeah. The, the weird jello things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also her lobster dinners were a big hit too. Oh, and um, yeah. I'm assuming back in the 30s, lobster also was probably wasn't that expensive. Mm. Oh, love lobster. Love I want lobster, lobster now. 
Guess we're going to Oyami instead. <laughs> we'll see. But even more popular than her hearty meals was her desserts, including Boston cream pie, lemon meringue pie, bread pudding, and her signature butterscotch pecan cookies with ice cream. Then one day she was like, I'm gonna, I want to spice things up a little bit. I want to change it up. She started experimenting with new desserts. And she decided to chop up a Nestle semi-sweet chocolate bar into tiny pea size and add it to her cookies. Almost like chips? Almost like chips. Now, different sources told me different things. Because apparently, there is a... It started as a rumor, kind of, that she accidentally put the chips in the cookies thinking that she ran out of time and they were just going to melt and they were just going to be chocolate cookies. Yeah. Um, But because history so often never gives women the credit they fucking deserve, and because she was a dietitian food expert and she cooked her whole life, pretty sure she knew that the chips weren't going to melt and make the whole cookie chocolate. Yeah. So she did this definitely on purpose. Thus, her new invention was born, and she called it the Toll House Chocolate Crunch Cookie, or better known as the Chocolate Chip Cookie. What a wonderful woman. Woo! Now, it's called Crunch because she technically the first original recipe had nuts in it. Okay. But, yes. Now, instantly, these things became a huge success. It became so popular, all over New England, people were flooding to the Toll House Inn for her famous Chocolate Crunch Cookies. I think it's fun that... Um... At the time, they were, like, new and exciting, and that's how she spiced it up. And now it's like, chocolate chip cookies are everywhere. They're, they're, uh, they like they they're, immediately they're, became they're a the classic. They're the standard cookie. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, I hear those, like, butterscotch pecan whatever that yeah. she was making before. I want those. Yeah. <laughs> Share that recipe. Well, it was so funny. Someone brought chocolate chip cookies in to work, and I was eating it. I walked around to everyone. I was like, fun fact, did you know that chocolate chip cookies were invented by a woman in Massachusetts? And they're like, okay, Ari. <laughs> I'm always telling fun facts from this podcast to everyone at my work, and they're like, okay. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so she even got – so these are so famous and so popular – that she got local newspapers to stop by and they interviewed her. She shared her recipe with the newspaper. At one point, she just started handing out the recipe to anybody who asked. Okay. She said that at one point during the popularity, she was handing out 100 recipes a day. Wow. Now, that might have been a little exaggeration, but still. I mean, they had 61 tables at one point. Yeah, you're right. So, like, if every table got sat twice, then probably. Yeah. She was even featured on... Famous Foods from Famous Eating Places, which was a radio program hosted by Marjorie Houston. You may know her better as Betty Crocker. No shit! Yep. Isn't that (laughs) cool? Fun fact! That is a fun fact! Now, however, every good bitch kind of has their bad bitch traits. (laughs) And, well, we'll let one of her employees tell this story. So, this is a quote from one of her employees. At the end of each night, Ruth would bag up the extra cookies and order them to be thrown out. The waitstaff was not allowed to snack on them whatsoever. One night, though, we took our chance and we ended up paying the price. We knew that Ruth wouldn't be there, so we all put in our order at the end of the evening. And she said, 
Oh, we said we wanted a private place in which we could eat them in the rest once the restaurants closed. Since Ruth wasn't there, we used her office. <laughs> well, guess who walked in? She never said a word. She just looked at each of us and made eye contact with each of us individually, then walked out. The next week, the extra cost of our desserts were taken out of our paychecks. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Give, you're going to make these great desserts and you're going to throw them out at the end of the night? Yeah, right. At least them. donate them. Right. Just give give them to your employees. Yeah, I mean, give them to your employees. Come on. <laughs> I guess this was in the 1930s no. during the Great Depression, but yeah, I don't agree. So, and, well, and if that's the case, it's, if it's during the Great Depression, you're going to throw out food? Yeah. True. Damn it, Ruth. See, that's Damn it, Ruth. <laughs> now, when World War II hit, this cookie not only became popular in New England, but it became popular the entire United States because soldiers were getting these cookies in their care packages and they were sharing it with their soldier friends. Uh-huh. And soon enough, they were calling their moms being like, I need a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> you need to send them to me. And people, they, she said that she got flooded with demands of the recipe and letters from troops being like, I love your cookie. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you so much. Like flooded with letters during World War II. Now around this time, Ruth decided to publish her own cookbook called Toll House, Tried and True Recipes. And this included the first ever recipe for chocolate chip cookies that we ever know. So Nice. Yeah. Next time you eat a chocolate chip cookie, think about this story. (laughs) Now, in her book, she writes this. At Toll House, we chill the dough overnight. When ready for baking, we roll a teaspoon of dough between palms of hands and place two balls two inches apart, on greased baking sheets. Then we press the ball with our fingertips to form flat rounds. This way, the cookies do not spread as much in baking and keep uniformly round. So, basically how you make cookies today. (laughs) Now, after this, everyone is making, like I said, everyone's getting the recipe. Everyone wants chocolate chip cookies. However, there is no such thing as chocolate chips yet. So people were buying out Nestle semi-sweet chocolate bars by the handful to a point where Nestle was like their stock market went through the roof because of Ruth. So um, Nestle started advertising for the cookies on their packages and they included a special chopping tool included in the packaging to cut the bars easier. That's awesome. Until finally they were like, you know what? We'll just go a step further. And they created the Nestle Toll House Real Semi-Sweet Chocolate Morsels, or chocolate chips. All right. And at this time, um, they're popular. Ruth's cookies are popular. Everyone wants a chocolate chip. So she meets up with the owner of Nestle, Andrew Andrew Nestle, and together they make a business deal. Kind of not the great business deal here, but this is what it was. In exchange for the recipe to be published and printed on the backside of every bag of chocolate morsels, Ruth would, in exchange, get a free lifetime supply of as much Nestle chocolate she could ask for. And to make the um, whole business legal, they had to actually put money in it, so he gave her $1. <laughs> so, to this day, though the recipe has been tweaked, Uh, The recipe is still on the back of almost all Nestle chocolate chip bags. It is. Yep. Now, after this, Ruth and her husband continue to run their inn. 
Uh, they do end up selling it in 1967, and they retire. Good for And that. she lives a normal life, making her cookies, and she ends up dying on January 10th, 1977. I think I believe she's at the age around 70-something. And she's buried in the Mayflower Cemetery in Duxburg, Duxbury, Mass. And she left her collection of cookbooks to her college, Framing State. Oh, cute, right? Cute. Now, unfortunately, the original Toll House Inn was destroyed in a fire in 1984. That's a shame. I want to go to that garden room. I know. Um, there is now just a historical landmarker saying, you know, this is where the inn was, where the first chocolate chip cookie was ever made. So okay. I guess you could see this side. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 1984, it was ruled that Nestle couldn't trademark chocolate chip cookies anymore because it became such a generic term. Right. So, you know, now everybody can use chocolate chip cookies. Yes, yeah, sure. However, to this day, chocolate chip cookies is a go-to classic dessert. Yes, it is. With a market value of $18 billion in the United States alone. Yeah, that tracks. And without Ruth Wakefield, we would never enjoy a chocolate chip cookie. And she will go down in history as a teacher, a baker, a cook, a business owner, a book publisher and author, and of course... The inventor of the chocolate chip cookie. Thanks, Ruth. So thank you, Ruth. And that was, again, short but sweet story Boo. about <laughs> the invention of the chocolate chip cookie. And that I was just, delightful. It was. Wasn't yeah, it that just, was just there, like, with the exception of the not letting your workers eat the cookies, there was no feel-bad moment. No. It was just yeah. a very happy family. They bought a cute inn. They made cookies and and yeah and it was just a very cute story and i loved it and i want to tell more stories about that that women i notice a lot i passed like lots of my past good bitches have died before the age of 50 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this was a very very heartwarming change <laughs> um so Ari, i do have some bad news oh no you had such a nice story oh no i don't oh no <laughs> now it isn't classic katie bad bitch oh but it's not great okay so well i'm ready i am going to tell you the story of Anne hamilton burn Anne hamilton and and then it's hyphenated hamilton burn burn i was like whoa hamilton burr <laughs> no, oh, not, not quite. <laughs> so she was born Evelyn Grace Victoria Edwards on December 30th, 1921, making her a Capricorn, like me, mm. unfortunately, in Sale, Victoria, uh, which is Australia. Okay. She was the oldest of seven children and had a very difficult childhood. Um, it sounds like they were a pretty poor family. Her mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was hospitalized at least four different times in different mental facilities. And honestly, there's little more known about her life except that Evelyn left home as soon as she could and changed her name. Oh. So, we're going to jump ahead to the big stuff. The reason she's the second half of this episode. <laughs> So, in 1961, she's like 40-ish, and she's a yoga teacher. And she also believes that she's Jesus Christ reincarnate. What? 
Okay. Crazy. I mean, not crazy. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Okay. She meets a man, uh, Dr. Raynar Johnson, and they start a religious and philosophical group together. So they start a cult. Um. Well, you'll get there. You will get there. <laughs> um. It's got a few names. Oh. Um. The San Kin- Santinkatan Park Association. Okay. The Great White Brotherhood. Oh, no. And later, and most commonly known, the family. Oh. Oh, I don't like that. So they begin to host meetings at Johnson's home, and eventually the group purchases more property right next to his home, where they build a meeting hall. They call this area the San Tincatan Park, and the meeting hall the San Tincatan the S word, lodge. <laughs> I'm done trying to pronounce it. I can't do it. My tongue doesn't want to say all the, the syllables. That's fair. So the group that meets at this point was mostly middle class workers, um, nurses, psychiatrists, things like that. Uh, people who were referred here at Anne's yoga class. Uh-huh. And this group ends up becoming Australia's most notorious cult. Ooh. Their motto? Uh-huh. Unseen- What's the motto with you? Boo. Sorry. <laughs> Their motto is unseen, unknown, unheard. Ew. What? Ew. And then, like, that along with the family. Ugh. No. So, at some point in this journey, Anne decides to take some LSD. And she okay. has what she decides is a vision. The world is going to end. There's an upcoming apocalypse. And she has one mission. Save the children. Okay. So, her goal becomes to adopt as many kids as she can so she can save them from the upcoming apocalypse. Uh-huh. Now, as I mentioned, a lot of members are nurses, psychiatrists, so they're members of a local hospital staff. And this staff uh, was using LSD, to or the the hospital was using LSD as some treatments. Microdosing has been shown to be helpful in some cases. Yeah, okay. so they had access to lots of LSD, which I the members like, use. I don't like. But... It's unclear if the adults used it of their own free will or not, but it's used. Is she gonna give it to children? Now, between 1968 okay. and 1975, so seven years, she and her husband Bill. Adopt 14 infants and young children. Holy. She also encourages others in their group, cult, to adopt as many children as possible. Uh... Now, some of the kids are from members of the group. Others are adopted through irregular adoptions arranged by lawyers and doctors and social workers in the family. And then they decide to create a school for them. Um, It's called Up Top. And things start to get <laughs> really weird. Um, all of the kids are given matching outfits, which it's a, normally a private school. Private schools uniforms, have uniforms, whatever. Yeah, okay. Um, they also get their hair bleached so that everyone is blonde. Uh, nope. And nope. their names get changed to whatever Anne wanted. The, oh. And they are all told that Anne is their biological mother. 
What? They begin to call the other leaders of the group, Anne's followers, the aunties and uncles. Right. And let this me tell the you, family. they are nothing like good aunties and uncles. Oh, no. They are not good aunties and uncles. No. I know good aunties. <laughs> These aren't them. <laughs> the adults on the compound, including and especially Anne, abuse the kids mentally and physically. Oh. They starve them. They force-feed them LSD. I was going to say, I knew that was coming. Along with a fun variety of other psychiatric drugs, like diazepam, nitrazepam, chloropromazine, and other anxiety-related drugs that are very helpful if you have an anxiety disorder, and very terrible if you don't. And probably very terrible for children. Well, they basically lulled the children into a state of submission. That's horrible. That is very horrible. Once the kids reached adolescence, they were compelled to go through an initiation, which involved taking lots of LSD in a dark room all alone, where they would be visited occasionally by psychiatrists in the family or Anne herself. That's hor- that's so scary. I don't like that. Oh, no. So, all the while, these people are claiming to be a religious group teaching a strange mashup of Hinduism, Christianity, and various elements of other religions, which they claim is on the principle that all spiritual truths are universal. Okay. As I mentioned, Anne believed herself to be Jesus reincarnate. Uh And so her inner circle were reincarnations of the apostles, which they used to justify their actions. Uh, um, All right. Now, sometime in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Anne gets involved in the Siddha Yoga movement, uh, which is basically a spiritual route using yoga to find God. Okay. Um, now, this is led by Muktananda, and uh, he is very often in an ashram in South Fallsburg, New York. So she and the kids go to stay there for a while. She also buys her own base nearby in the U.S., uh, up in the Catskills in New York. Yep. Uh. Now, later, one of the children, uh, Sarah Hamilton Byrne, uh, tells of a time when Muktanada asks the kids if they want to leave the family and come live with him and join his sect. And all the kids are so excited. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. And then they're later punished by Anne for their disloyalty. Yikes. Now, his offer caused a problem between him and Anne. Um, and some of his followers ended up defecting to the family, which really confused Sarah, the her daughter, uh-huh. um, because she couldn't understand why they would want to leave a seemingly happy place to go be with everyone that was miserable in Anne's family. Mm. Now, in 1987... Tensions are rising here. Sarah begins acting rebellious. And she gets expelled from the group by Mother Anne. Oh. And so she, with the help of a PI, brings all the information she has to the Victoria police. (gasps) Really? The police end up using the information they get from Sarah to storm the compound and rescue the other kids, now totaling 28. Whoa. However... These poor kids don't realize that they're living in hell because it's all they've ever known. And most of them try and fight their rescuers. Oh. Well, me and their fault. Right. Now, before I get back to Anne and her bullshit, 
I do want to, and I, I want to mention one really good thing is that Sarah, the girl that was expelled, mm. she ends up going on to study medicine. She becomes a doctor. She figures out who she, that she was adopted and she gets to meet her biological mother. Oh, well, that, so that's, that's good. Silver lining here. Good for her. Now back to Anne and her bullshit. All right. <laughs> so after Fucking the raid, Anne. Anne and her husband manage to flee. And they evade capture for six years. Holy shit. Now, during this time, people start talking. A former solicitor for the group admits to forging birth records. And a former auntie tells the police about their adoption scams. It isn't until June of 1993 that they're found. Thanks to help from the Australian, the UK, and US police forces in an investigation known as Operation Forest. Mm -hmm. The couple is found in the Catskills, which upstate New York, Mm. and they're extradited to Australia, where they're charged with conspiracy to defraud and to commit perjury by falsely registering the birth of three unrelated kids as their own triplets. That's it. That's That's all they're charged with. That's all what? Okay. Weirdly, most of the charges are dropped. And they only plead guilty to the charge of making a false declaration. And as punishment, they're fined. That's it. They each have to pay $5,000 and that's fucking it. Wow. That's bullshit. Others in the group are charged with various things. uh, Conspiracy, falsely obtaining money, things like that. um, For which it seems like these people are also fined. Mm-hmm. And it's extra wild, considering the police estimated that in the 1980s, her fortune was as much as $50 million. Whoa. Holy shit. So. She got away with this. So, um, despite the stories from the kids, um, one kid, they, they would get punished for things like wetting the bed. Um, one kid actually wet the bed so constantly that, uh, other kids nicknamed him Zebra Stripes because the bruises that he got from when they would whip him were pretty much permanent. Oh my goodness. So, like... so sad. So, like, there was definitely child abuse that went on at this camp, at at this cult, and they had to pay $5,000. That's such bullshit. Um, so, that was in 1993. Um, in 2001, Bill, who was Anne's husband, he dies, and Anne makes her first public appearance since her conviction. Later in the 2000s, two people sued Anne. The first was her granddaughter in 2007, who alleged cruel and inhumane treatment at the hands of Anne, including beatings, forced medication, and being locked in a shed overnight in freezing weather. She was awarded $250,000. So it was just fined again? Just fined. Okay. My God. Um, The second, in 2009, was a former family member who alleged she paid Anne over $400,000 for real estate and Anne never delivered. She also received $250,000. Wow. Okay. So she really is just getting away with all of this. In 2013, it was reported that Anne was in a nursing home and close to death after a battle with dementia. Um, a former child of the family uh, comments on this and of the group, saying that it had become a toothless tiger. Oof. Looked fierce, wasn't really. Mm-hmm. In 2016, the family documentary is released at the Melbourne International Film Festival. This ends up being made into an expanded three-episode miniseries called The Cult of the Family, 
which is available on Hulu with a premium subscription. Oh. So you have to have Stars Plus, I think uh, it was. And damn. I was going to say, I was like, we should watch that. Because I, I wanted to watch it before I did this, and because yeah. it had been previously available. Mm. And then I went to look it up, and it was like, oh, you don't have the Stars Plus. And I was like, well, I'm not buying Stars I'm, Plus. I'm so sick of all the extra streaming service bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Um, and finally, on June 13th, 2019... At the ripe old age of 90 fucking 7. This bitch lived to 97. And died. Fuck now, her. How could this cult have happened? How on earth did this happen? And how did she get away with it? Through it all, even after the horrors were exposed, Anne always claimed it was love. Just love. And she's a woman. When she'd meet new recruits, um, apparently she had these piercing blue-green eyes that one person said saw straight through to your soul. Um, And when she'd meet the new recruits, she would tell them, I've been waiting for you. You are special. Oh. I am not going to lie, though. If you do meet someone with eyes like that, it is a little, like, jarring at first. The parent of one of Anne's children said, and I quote, Anne wasn't giving love. She was offering it and then taking it back. She broke people's spirits. One of her child survivors said there was only one rule. Do absolutely everything, she said. That included what to think, what to wear, what to eat, who to marry, who not to marry. Total obedience. Oh. Yep. Despite all of this, Anne got off with just minor financial penalties, never facing charges for all of the abuse and horrors she subjected the children of the family to. And lived to... And she lived to 90 fucking seven. That's not fair. Why the good really do die young? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, look again. I just mentioned how yeah. all of my good bitches keep dying before fifty, and this bitch gets to live yeah, to ninety-seven. In all of my research, I kept being like, "All right, this is where she gets caught, right? Okay, this is where they charge her. Okay, she gets charged now, right? Like she uh. doesn't get to die in a nursing home with dementia for getting all the shit she did." She doesn't just get, a, get to get away with it, but she did. But she did. She got okay. to get away with it. Well, no, well, fuck her. Wow. Yeah. So that was Anne Hamilton Byrne, the psychotic Jesus reincarnate of the, Aust- the most infamous Australian cult. It's really interesting to hear a cult story that um, a woman is in charge and not a mm-hmm. man, too, though. That's mm-hmm. that's very rare, I feel that's, like. That's um, part of the reason that I picked that, and because um, that was, I think, JP's first request, and it took me till this year to get to it, but he was like, oh, really? you have to cover her. <laughs> I like, okay, I'll get to it. You got it. I got it eventually. You got it, sunshine. <laughs> hey. That's what you said. I, I was quoting sunshine. you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and we're not doing another episode because I have to fight Ari. <laughs> Wow, that was a scary lady. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't join cults, kids. Yeah, you know. Don't adopt your children out to cults, kids. Though I do feel like it's a lot easier to say don't join a cult than oh, it yeah, is. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because so then I feel like maybe it happens so quickly and you're like, oh, fuck, am I part of a cult? So anyways, it's I possible. liked my story. Your story was delightful. And now I want cookies, so maybe we can make some cookies later. And by that, you mean maybe I can make cookies and give them to you because you don't do kitchen stuff? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. Or, or hear me out, we get the edible cookie dough oh, and just go to town. Yep. Okay. Perfect. That sounds like plan. 
Friday, here we come. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Where can they find us? Okay, Luna, you tell them. Where can they find us? Okay, you guys heard it here first. <laughs> Luna said you could find us at... on uh, Ips. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at G B B B B podcast. That's three B's. A. Or you can join our Facebook group, which is Good Bitch Bot Bad Bitch Podcast. Correct. You can send us memes and shit. It's a good time. It's fun. True. You can email us. Whatever you want to email us. You whatever that may be. At Good bitch, bad bitch podcast at gmail.com. That is correct. Yes. And become our patron. We love that. It's $2 a month. You get a cute little sticker. And we appreciate you very much. Every month we get $2 from you and we're like, wow, thank you. <laughs> love that. <laughs> that is exactly what we do. Actually, it's more actually a complete opposite. I go, what's this? Dinging. I'm like, oh, right. I forgot Patreon every month. <laughs> um, and leave us a good review on uh, Spotify and on iTunes. And tell your friends and your family and your cats. We, parent, we have a cat. You just heard her. She, she'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. She will. And, and that's... It that is our podcast. I hope you guys like it. I am drinking alcohol right now. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, friends. Goodbye, friends. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch. Bad bad bad. bad. Are you a good witch? Or a bad witch? Me? I'm not a at all. Are you a good witch? Or a bad witch? Me? I'm not a. Are you a good